Kyle, thanks so much for watching Making Healthcare Work for You, different perspectives and empowering solutions. I'm Stephanie Fields, joined by my co-host, Dr. Apoorv Gupta. And today we're welcomed by Dr. Sarita Mohanty, who is the president and CEO of the SCAN Foundation. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I am so excited to talk to you today because you are focused with through the SCAN Foundation on the older population, specifically in California, but also trying to help across lines where you can. So tell us, why is this such an important issue that people think about aging and find a solution to how to properly care for these people in a way that gives them dignity? Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, and in and, and, and such a critical um, topic, because Right now, um, you know, if you look at the statistics, uh, you know, 2020 Census Bureau, 16.917% of the population is 65 and older. And if you look now at 2035, there will be more adults than children in this country. Um, another statistic that I have heard is that, um, that if you look um, from demographers um, research in Stanford, they found that if you look at five-year-olds currently uh, today, 50 up to 50% of them will live to the age of 100 and beyond. So we are, we are continuing to more than double over the next 40 years in terms of older adults, the, you know, and um, we are not quite prepared to address the needs, the preferences, the, you know, the wants of what older adults need to live with dignity and with independence. And so I think there's a lot of um, opportunity to, um, you know, knowing that we have increased life expectancy, uh, you know, and we know that the care, the care delivery system is so fragmented and, and has a lot of, you know, things that need to be fixed. This is really why um, I'm excited about the, 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 the work and, and the efforts that we're doing with us with the SCAN Foundation. How important with those statistics is it for the wellness perspective? Because if people are living to that long, you know, COVID showed us, look at the shortage of ventilators and all these other things that happen. Mm -hmm. We don't want to be living our whole lives sick, you know, or more than half of our lives sick. So how important is it to focus people on preventive care or other, you said before you were telling us about social determinants of health. Yeah. How important are those things in that process to, to age in this way? Yeah, such an important question. I mean, I think what we should recognize is that, um, you know, health is beyond the clinical. We're not just talking about hospital care or nursing home care. Clearly, older adults, any of us really don't, if we had a choice, we would rather not be institutionalized. We would like to be in our homes and communities. And there's a lot of data that you know, that older, you know, older adults, they want person-centered care. They want care that is true to what they, they feel is going to give them the, the best independence and dignity. So I think, so when I look, when I talk about health, it, and, you know, you talked about well-being as part of that, it is, it is about total health. And it's about social determinants of health or social care, behavioral health, mental health and wellness, and and the clinical care combined so that is really the the importance and you know i you know the statistic has been held true that you know 80 percent of health is related to those social determinants of health like for example that being housed having food on the table making sure you have the financial security and the wherewithal to be able to plan for that catastrophic event so 
Um, it, and, and the other thing I should I should also mention that we are really working on with the foundation and with our partners is let's not think always have this negative context about aging about older adults like to be well you know you have to be able to think about the positives and how do you thrive um, and how do you live with vitality as you're getting older and that's something about changing the narrative and and combating issues like ageism that is so, that's so prevalent in in our society so really like you know that's going to be part of that you know what can i do to remain active if there's a forced retirement at 65, what are the things that I can do? Um, you know, maybe as we are even thinking about workforce challenges, you know, maybe there's an opportunity for me to to continue to be in the workforce after 65. And so it's many facets, but um, you know, it is it is prevention, but it's also like a mind of like being productive and vital. I think that's those are the words that really you know spark our interest. That's amazing, Sarita. I find it, uh, you know, fascinating. You're, you're getting us to think a little bit about this because, on the one hand, you, you, we can all nod our heads and agree that society isn't really prepared for a ever aging population, especially the statistic you threw out there that 50% of those who are five years old right now are likely to make it to 100. But you know what? As as, as I was pondering on that, what I'm thinking is so what is it about our society that you know that makes it so difficult for older people uh, to get access to good care is there something just different i mean you mentioned social determinants of health for example but are they just more likely to happen in older adults or do older adults have uh, different challenges so maybe you can help us wrestle with that a little bit as to what exactly makes the older adult perhaps more vulnerable or uh, or not able to get as much uh, quality healthcare as you think they should be? Yeah, well, I, yeah, there's, I think, you know, I, we, I think we've all seen some of the real challenges. I think I mentioned one, just the kind of the ageism itself. So that when people want to thrive and they can't get those care because they're being deemed as, well, you're too old to get that care, that in itself is a, is a challenge. So example being, and I have a, this was actually a patient that I, I saw, um, who had been bouncing from physician to physician because of she was like 77 years old and was having knee pain and was it was it was um, impacting her ability to walk her mile a day that she does all the time and whenever she talked to somebody they just attributed it to arthritis and said sorry you know like um you know it's just part of being old or part of aging and it turned out that this woman was so, you know, had so much other, like she didn't have much comorbidity. She really wanted to, you know, and so she asked the question, like, why can't I get other treatments? Why can't, you know, I mean, I think they tried some steroid injections, but why can't I um, get a knee replacement? Am I like completely, you know, um, out of the running for it? And it turned out that, you know, she, she was, nobody had allowed her to even talk to somebody about this because, because of her age just that you have arthritis, you're done. So I, I think that's one important piece um, just to really, um, you know, just highlight. And, and then the other thing um, about eight older adults is, you know, they are more um, prone to disability. And as they age, right, there are things, you know, mobility, it could be also, you know, dementia. I mean, there's things of that facet. And we don't have 
ac good access to quality home care or care, you know, to be able to allow them to. So oftentimes when you need services, you end up defaulting to, I have to go to the emergency department or, I, you know, I, I have to send, I have to take my mom to the hospital because she's, she's, you know, she doesn't, we have, we have no way to reach somebody. So I think, you know, that is something that, um, is is become a real a real challenge for our society is especially for those who have medicare alone um because med there's this big myth that medicare has benefits for long-term care or long-term services and supports and that is not true uh if you get if you spend down all your money and you get medicaid you may be able to qualify for some of those home and community-based services long-term but but you know that requires people to spend down all their assets. So there's that's another fundamental uh, challenge. And and I think we just also we saw this during the pandemic. The last thing is I would say is that you know there there are grave um, racial ethnic inequities disparities in care, and we saw that in the older adult population, particularly um, when when we saw the, the the deaths in nursing homes and the, the disproportionate impact on black and brown communities. So I think we have um, and then and of course, low income, you know, if you have a low income Medicare person who can't access services, they you know, then you're you're also seeing a lot of issues around, you know, social determinants of health. Uh, we saw a lot of food insecurity among Kind of lower income older adults so this is not you know age is not an equalizer like meaning like age you know once you hit an age you're all kind of the same there are definitely uh disproportionate challenges across the aging population wow yeah it's it's really eye-opening i think there's so many variables that are that are involved here sorry that you're talking about and one of those that i, I guess i'm thinking about is you know as again as you were saying if you Get a disability. Oftentimes, you're not going back. You're, it's yeah. not likely that you're going to suddenly become abled again. So now this becomes something you have to deal with for a course of time. You know, as as clinicians, I think I guess I would think uh, there's a lot of chronic illnesses that unfortunately are not going to go backwards either. They're only mm -hmm. going to accumulate, and then one one adds to uh, two, and two adds to three, and suddenly now as you're getting older you have multiple chronic illnesses, that makes it really difficult to manage as well. So probably, I guess, self-evident, but maybe at, at some point worth calling out that the complexity of care uh, and, and what, what each individual needs from the healthcare system is also increasing over time. Is that, is that how you think about it also? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, um, I mean, I have a my own kind of, you know, my own experiences with this firsthand, you know, like I had my own grandmother who was here from the from India um, and who was sponsored to come over to um, to the U.S. after my grandfather passed away from ailing Alzheimer's, and you know she um, was at home with my uncle uh, and fell. And um, we, you know, and we never thought that this fall <laughs> would would pave the course for the rest of her existence. Um, she went to the hospital, noted to have a hip ailment fracture, went to a nursing home, never left. And and did she really need to stay in that facility? She was, um, I mean, it actually just being in that facility further debilitated her, made her depressed. She wasn't able to walk, had chronic pain. 
um, didn't speak the language well, so ended up being amongst, amongst people who didn't know her culture, her language, and she ended up passing in that long-term care facility. And so, so I think this is like, I mean, we, we just have to recognize that the, the system doesn't allow for dignified care. And I think that's just something, you know, from my own personal experience, and I've seen so much in the clinical side, as I'm sure you have a part of as well, it's just, um, it's, it's heartbreaking. You've addressed some of these challenges and they're all <laughs> terrible. Nobody wants to have that situation happen. And I feel yeah. like hip, when, when falls and then hip injuries, mm -hmm. I feel like that happens so many times and it's unfortunate that it was compounded for your, mm -hmm. for your grandmother. But what are some of the things that you've seen and now working with this aging population, both yeah. in the skin, through the skin foundation, but then also as a clinician, what are some of the things that you see are working that either physicians can help do or policymakers can do or patients can do or families? What are those things that can make a difference for these situations? There's a lot of um, work underway, which makes me very hopeful about trying to change the system. So we are incentivizing and coordinating care in homes, in communities. You know, I think the three things that I always say and was really true to our work at the SCAN Foundation is we want to make sure we advance equity, equitable care to reduce those disparities in access to high quality care. We want to be extremely person-centered. So what matters most to the individual? And um, the third thing is community, home and community-based care, like making that a priority. And so I would say um, there's a lot of work um, on the private side. If you look at the entrepreneurial sector and venture side, as well on the public, uh, public policy side about you know, making sure we have um, better access to technology, um, for example, in the homes, through telehealth, through remote monitoring, um, things that, you know, making sure you train people adequately to use those type of technology to be able to, to, be, to be comfortable and safe and, and dignified in their, in their homes. And so that is one piece that, you know, we are actively tracking and offering recommendations um, you know, as a as an influencer of policy and program, that is one thing that you know, kind of how do we really advance tech in the in the in the homes and the communities? Um, the other thing I also take kind of great pride in um, that I think um, our our provider groups and um, health systems and all our stakeholders need to recognize is that in order you got to build some core infrastructure and commit. So it's so I will give an example that our state governor in California, Gavin Newsom, committed to the development and now the implementation of a master plan for aging. And what that is, is it's a 10 year blueprint that really outlines kind of the core things that we need to see happen to transform the systems, you know, supporting older adults, but also supporting their family members, supporting their, their loved ones, um, you know, family, you know, family and caregivers. And, you know, so it's about like, when we think about aging, it's about all ages for all stages, you know, it's, it's because we're all aging, and we're also seeing a lot of the impacts of aging on the, the more older adult sector. Um, so, you know, it's five goals, 23 strategies, huge number of initiatives. And what I would say is 
be you know, actively engaged, informed about this master plan. How do we make it a success? We're really looking at core implementation of this, not only in California, but across the country. Like I would, we are actually working in a multi-collaborative effort to try to get every state eventually to have some version of a master plan. And so that is something um, I think of, 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 of real importance. Um, the other thing I'll just mention is, you know, there's been a lot of efforts to kind of shape national policy, you know, discussion on home and community based care. So that's that's really promising. Um, but we and, and we we determined that it's that when we think about goes back to my earlier comment about social determinants of health, health has to be beyond the clinical patient level care. It has to be about the person. So we um, highlight our work around um, supporting something called special supplemental benefits for the chronically ill or SSBCI. And it, it just basically, if you look at traditional Medicare Advantage, you know, HMOs, they, this is where those plans can offer non-medical supports, grab bars, you know, uh, air conditioners, uh, whatever it might be that they can't even um, benefits around food, um, and other, so we are really, you know, like home delivered meals is a great example. So we're trying to really, um, you know, that's already in existence. We help support that, you know, influence and decision on SSBCI. And um, we're essentially creating a blueprint for how benefits need to change to support aging. That's really kind of where we're at. So those are some, some, some core examples that I can, I can offer. Do most yeah. people know about these SSBIs? Are they already available to them, but they're not availing of them? How can the average, you know, caregiver or, or uh, elder uh, adult figure out whether they have access to these services and then, you know, get these uh, additional uh, resources that they might need? Yeah, it's a great question. So it is not fully scaled. It's in, in more Medicare Advantage plans are getting those, you know, assuming or having those benefits as part of their their core benefit package, which is which is promising. And not, you know, so the first thing would be to ask, you know, and hopefully your plan is giving you that information about what it is that they offer, especially making, you know, they should be, you know, they should be asking or the benefit the beneficiary or the older adult caregiver should ask the plan, especially if they're dealing with social issues, like I can't afford food, I need some help with support on grab bars or air conditioners. Um, but it, it is actually the responsibility of the provider and the health plan, I believe, to ask, especially when you're when you're dealing, you're trying to address health needs. You can't manage a, somebody, a diabetic, if they don't have, they don't have a refrigerator and they need insulin. So those are the kind of things. So it's just really asking the plan what they, they offer, what they can offer, or even how to connect with the community-based resources available in their community to help them get those needs met. So that's that's really an important piece. But we, we're trying to push this forward even more. We want every plan to offer these SSBCI. As I've said before, you have experience both as a clinician and now leading this organization. And as the family member of somebody who's gone through some of these situations, I'm sure sometimes they're embarrassed to tell you that they don't have food or they don't have these things. So as a provider, when you're in there, how, how would you suggest to other providers knowing now the expertise through um, when you were working at Kaiser Permanente and now at the Scan Foundation, what are some of those things that you've learned that might help people, you know, feel more comfortable sharing and to get that information so that you can get them to the right area? 
Yeah, it's such a great question. And, you know, that's something that we're, I think, you know, I, well, it's interesting when you talk about the, like the physician or the provider, I mean, to me, it's, it can't be the physician, the primary care doctor alone asking these questions. I mean, recognizing it, acknowledging it, but being, having an interdisciplinary care team to help address it. So for example, um, I'll give a couple examples. One is like making, you know, if somebody you're recognizing that somebody's hemoglobin A1C and their diabetes is not getting better and it's there's something beyond the clinical aspect of this, um, being able to know what resources are available to you, you know, like, so I have, do I have a social worker on my team or a care navigator, a community health worker who could help this person, um, you know, go deeper, ask them questions, screen, um, at, you know, what are the, what are the things that are challenging you and then connect them to those resources? Because we are seeing so much physician burnout. I mean, to be able to, and they don't get enough time to be able to ask those questions, even though they may want to, I mean, myself included. So I think that's the first piece. I think the other thing is there needs to be more systems to, so that patients feel more comfortable. Like, so there are like member facing portals, ways to pose that question. Are you having these social needs? What are things that are making it difficult for you to access care? Um, artificial intelligence is now building kind of capabilities so that if I'm a physician, something's already kind of telling me that there are there are challenges that are beyond the clinical that, you know, can be alerted to me um, on the on the on the physician you know side. So there, I think it's and 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 more and more of this is like you know being able to have the right people ask those questions of, and and you know like you said, don't being being making them feel more comfortable and saying we can try to find you ways to to support you. You mentioned technology earlier. You're mentioning, obviously, a, a really big challenge in terms of what needs to be done. Is there any one promising technology that you see out there that you think really has the promise of, of helping uh, older adults, you know, get better access to care or better quality? Mm -hmm. Any quick thoughts on that? You know, I, I you know, it's a really, I, I don't know if there's any particular technology. Um, I mean, I've definitely seen uh, products that are really like, for example, one is trying to um, combat social isolation or loneliness by engaging, you know, older adults in communities or, you know, making sure that they get connected to the right people so they're not feeling, because there, there are definitely data to support that if you're socially isolated or lonely, your health is negatively impacted. So um, I think the biggest challenge I'm seeing on the technology front, but I think that is, is changing, is sometimes we create these products um, based on other people's input, like the healthcare settings input, or the even sometimes even the caregiver might have either a family member, but not asking the older adult himself or old, or what, what, what products and services would best benefit you. So we're big on really thinking about co-design and in, in building communities of older adults so that they can actually help in the co-design of products and services. So I guess, again, I mean, I think things are trying to, I think that goes back to being person-centered. I think there's more opportunity. I couldn't say if I could pinpoint any particular technology, but they're starting to emerge. And I think they're, I think they're recognizing that we got to ask the recipient more and more of what they need. So I think that's really critical. And thank you so much for being here and sharing this conversation. It was great and it went really fast. It was so great. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, it was my pleasure. And thanks for the provocative questions. I really appreciate it. And thank you all for watching. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.